Are you ready for the word this morning? That was two of you. Are you ready for the word this morning? All right. Praise God. Well, I'm ready to give it. Well, we're going to start a new series today called Building a Firm Foundation. Uh, Six crucial beliefs for constructing unshakable faith. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5 to start out. And we're going to be reading verses 12 through 14 and then into chapter 6, the first two verses. And and Ashley, as you're turning there, um, I just want to say this as you're getting there and finding that. The premise of this new series that we're starting today is that we need to have a, a solid foundation of some firm and well-established fundamental biblical principles before we can go on to understand the deeper things of God. You know, I think that's where much of the church in America has erred, and honestly, probably including this one to a certain degree, because, you know, we get people saved, and then we tell them to read their Bibles and come to church, but so often these people are not helped to understand the basics of our faith, the basic doctrines of our faith. And, you know, without that information, um, we're somewhat hindered in understanding everything else. It's like if you try to build a house or a building without putting the due diligence into establishing a very firm foundation, or when you put the, uh, the framing on top of that house or building and that the foundation isn't firm, then it's very unstable and it's liable to crumble over time. And I think that that's true of our spiritual lives as well. If we don't have a firm foundation upon which our faith is built, then when we go on to try to build upon that, it's a very faulty foundation and our lives can crumble over time. Our faith can be shipwrecked over time. So, you know, it's exactly like the, the process I'm talking about here is exactly like how we learn mathematics. You know, you can't learn algebra unless you master addition and subtraction and some other basics first. Am I right? Uh, you, you have to master the basics before you can go on to the more complicated stuff. And, you know, I see people in the church, and, and not this church in particular, but uh, people in the faith all the time who've been in church for decades but have not really grown much in the Lord in that period of time. <laughs> yeah? Amen. And that might be because we've not mastered the basics of the faith yet. So again, what we're going to do in this series, as my uh, subtitle suggests, is learning about the six crucial beliefs for constructing unshakable faith. All right, so with those thoughts in mind, let's go now to our master text. We're ready to read. If you would, stand up with me and let's honor the reading of the word. We like to show the word of God great honor and reverence around here. So verse 12 is where I'm beginning, and we're going to read into chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So here we go. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature 
who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. If you're reading the King James or New King James, it would say repentance from dead works and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> Praise God. I first of all want to say that no one knows for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, but since all scripture, the Bible says, is God-breathed, ultimately God was the author of the book of Hebrews. Uh, so God was addressing the original recipients of this letter in the book of Hebrews, and he essentially told them that they were stuck in the first grade spiritually. Uh, he said, you know, by now you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the basics all over again. In other words, he was saying, I want you to grow up. I want you to grow up. So in this picture that you're looking at, um, this, this is a scene from a movie called The First Grader, which is the true story of a Kenyan man who never got any schooling. And in his elderly years, he decided to go ahead and get his education starting in the first grade. And being in Kenya, uh, he started that in a traditional school setting with all these little first graders all around him. Now, <clears throat> Let me tell, say this, though. What if you were looking at that picture and you found out that this older gentleman, who looks very out of place among all those little school children, what if you found out that he had been in that same seat for 60 years? You'd be shocked, right? And that's what God, uh, why God was addressing the recipients of the letter of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, and that's why he addressed them so strongly, as a matter of fact. Because by this time, they should have been all grown up spiritually, and instead they were still stuck on their ABCs. And that's the condition in which so many people find themselves in the American church today. And as a matter of fact, some of you may know the name Rick Renner, uh, who is a theologian and an author He's actually a pastor as well. He's American, but he pastors a church in Russia. And he's also highly trained and an expert in the ancient Hebrew and Greek. And he travels a lot as well. And I want you to, to see what he has to say. There's, he has an assessment of the Western church that I want you to see here because this is why I believe the Holy Spirit inspired me to do this teaching in this series and here's what he says, <clears throat> I'm very concerned about the state of the modern church. What bothers me most as I travel and visit churches, especially across the Western world, is that I often see an absence of good Bible teaching. In my travels, I hear a lot of good motivational and inspirational teaching. I encounter a great deal of amazing praise and worship music. However, I see a real void in the area of solid, foundational Bible teaching. This troubling trend is evident in the Christian community. More and more, believers are beginning to know less and less of the Bible. And he goes on. This is a very serious state of affairs. 
with the church at large. When there is an absence of the teaching of good Bible doctrine, it creates an unstable, catastrophic situation for the people of God. They lose their ability to discern what is right and wrong or to make decisions based upon godly wisdom about what they should and shouldn't do in their lives. You know, so often people come to Christ and they stay pretty much right where they are uh, the rest of their spiritual lives with, with little or no growth or accumulation of knowledge from that point forward. And that's either because they don't personally apply themselves to read their Bibles and study God's Word, or, like Rick Renner is saying, uh, they're in a shallow church teaching fluffy, feel-good messages, which honestly, as Rick Renner observes, is a huge percentage of churches in America and in the West these days. And that's why, once again, I felt like a theme for this morning was that God was saying to us, do not forsake the ancient path. Now, let me deal with this question this morning. Does older always mean wiser? <laughs> well, on the screen there, you see uh, different levels of education and stages in life. And as you go from bottom to top there, you see the first stage of education would be kindergarten. And actually, there's, I guess, one before that, preschool. So preschool, kindergarten, and then elementary school. Junior high school, high school, advanced learning, and then you get to the uh, maturity level, the, the, the seasoned stage of life. With all the people that I meet, both in my travels and also in my circle of friends and family and acquaintances in the, in the Christian community, I find, personally, that most Christians that I meet are stuck on this level right here. Elementary school. We've progressed past preschool and uh, kindergarten, and we get into elementary school spiritually, and we kind of stay there for the rest of our lives. Maybe there's peaks and valleys to our spiritual growth, but that's where I find that most Christians, even Christians who have been in the church for a very long time, are sort of stuck. So being older in the Lord doesn't necessarily make you mature. It just makes you older. So you have to apply yourself to wisdom and become exercised in the truth. Now, I'm going to look at one line in uh, verse 12 that in our master text, uh, Hebrews 5, verse 12. And it says again, there, by, uh, for by now you ought to be teachers. So I'm going to break down a couple of those words in the ancient Greek for you. That word that was translated into English as ought is the Greek word ophilo. And here's what it means. It means an obligation, a necessity, something that should be achieved or accomplished, something that is owed a moral duty, a moral duty. For by now you ought to be teachers. Now, that word teachers is the Greek word didaskalos, and it means in the broader definition in the Greek, it means a masterful teacher, someone who is superior in his knowledge or expertise. So in essence, what the writer of Hebrews and ultimately God was saying, if you kind of want to put this together in, in a encapsulated um, way to say it, perhaps, is this, 
after all the church meetings you've attended, and after everything you've heard with your ears and seen with your eyes, you are actually morally obligated. You are actually morally obligated by this time to be masterful in your subject. Okay, I'm going to read that again. After all the church meetings you've attended and after everything you've heard with your ears and seen with your eyes, you are now actually morally obligated by this time to be masterful in your subject. All right? Now listen, folks, if you've ever wondered what God's will for your life is, that's part of it right there. He wants you to go on to maturity and superior knowledge so that you can teach and instruct people who are less experienced in the Lord than you are. That's part of his will for you. Now, let's look again at chapter 6 of Hebrews, the first two verses. And it says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. There's that word again. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So in those two short verses are the elementary teachings that the writer of Hebrews says that we should have mastered by now. Okay? So this is what we're going to be covering in this series. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works... We'll define what that means next week. And faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. You know, there are scores of people occupying churches all across this nation, folks, every Sunday, who haven't even gotten past repentance from dead works yet. And again, we're going to start talking about that in more detail next week. See, my point is this, you have to be able to crawl before you can walk. And you've got to be able to walk before you can run. Now, there are many people, and I've met several of them, there are many people in the body of Christ today who consider themselves track stars when it comes to spiritual things, but in reality, they really haven't gotten up off the floor from the crawling position yet. For example, there were two different couples in our church uh, years ago who considered themselves leaders and spiritually mature, and indeed we use them as uh, leaders and teachers in our church, but I found out later that they weren't even tithing. See, we won't talk about tithing in this series, but how many of you know that tithing to your local church is a basic expectation of the Christ follower? See, if you aren't even doing that in your local church, you ought not be in leadership there. Do you agree with that? Again, you have to walk before you can run. All right, so then what are the consequences then of remaining unskilled in the word of righteousness as our master text worded it? Well, Hebrews 5.12, going back to that again, says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
Well, that word teach is the word in the Greek, didasko, and it means the systematic learning of the student through ever-present instruction of the teacher. So this is the equivalent of saying you need to go back to the first grade and have someone teach you the basics all over again. You need a teacher who will sit by you and systematically instruct you in the truth, the truth that you apparently didn't get when you were younger. Okay? And by saying there in that passage that you need milk, not solid food, he was saying here that these people couldn't even handle adult food at this point. In, in other words, they couldn't benefit from the deeper things of God's word uh, because they were still eating baby food at this point in their spiritual lives. Now, if you're newer to the faith, even if you might be a little bit older uh, chronologically, if you're newer in the faith, don't let this get you down because you've got to start someplace, right? So if, if you're a little bit newer to church, newer in the faith, and you're you know, 40, 50, 60 years old, don't let that discourage you. But hey, if you've been in church 30 years now, and, and you've had access to Bible knowledge all that time, you've been living for the Lord, God expects more from you. I got a lot of big positive response on that one, didn't I? Okay, let me just give you some uh, scriptural validation for that. Luke 12, 48. To whom much is given, much will be required. What's the second half of that verse? And to whom much more is given, much more will be required. Folks, let me tell you something. You're an American. You have access to Bible knowledge. Okay? You have been given much. And because of that, much more will be required. All right, he expects us to grow up. Uh, once again, God was saying here that, look, um, these believers that were still babies in the faith, he says, okay, look, I've been patient, but I want you to grow up now. All right. Let's look at Hebrews 5.13, the very next verse. Uh, For everyone who uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. All right. Now, again, we're really diving into the, the Greek a little bit this morning because I want you to understand the, the essence of what the writer of Hebrews is saying because the, the Greek is a much more descriptive language than the English is. So that word translated into English as unskilled is the Greek word apiros, and it means unskilled, undeveloped, untested, someone who is inexperienced. So in essence, here's what we can get out of that. This is in your notes. Fill in this, word, this, uh, this blank, if, if you will. I want you to write this down. The people who are not established in foundational truths, who are inexperienced in deeper spiritual matters, and who are undeveloped spiritually, these people will come to illogical spiritual conclusions. Please write that down. Illogical spiritual conclusions. Folks, the, the church in general is actually filled with people who fit this description. They ought to be spiritual adults by now. But although they have come to, to the point where they have some gray hair and some wrinkles, spiritually speaking, they're still babies. And as a consequence of this, there are now countless Christians who are confused about issues the Bible actually speaks very, very clearly about. 
Issues that can destroy people's lives and even nations if they don't land on the right side of the truth. And listen, when their ignorance leads to terrible choices, and those terrible choices end up bringing havoc into their lives, they end up getting angry at God for letting it happen. That's why in Proverbs 19.3, a very telling verse here, the NIV of this verse says that a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Now, I like the New Living Translation's version of that. It says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. If they just knew the word and followed it, they could have avoided so many landmines in life that people step on and blow up their lives. And folks, this is why God gave us his word And that's why he gave us so many ways to learn his word through the instruction of people that he has gifted to help us to understand it better. As a matter of fact, I want to give a shout out to Crystal again. I I had a word for her this morning in the the, uh, ministry time, but I'm going to give a shout out to her um, because she told me that she's listening to the teachings on our podcast nearly every day. And uh, I was looking at the, the numbers of downloads and listens on our website, and uh, just a few weeks ago, it was like at, I don't know, 9,700 downloads. And I'm like, wow, by, at this rate that we're going, here in about three, four, five months, we'll be at over 10,000 listens on that website. Then Crystal started coming. <laughs> and it's way up over 10,000 listens, just like that. So uh, she is taking advantage of those things and, and, and trying to grow in wisdom and grow in the Lord. And I believe that pleases God. See, there's really no excuse for staying ignorant, is there? See, if you want it bad enough, you'll get wisdom. If you want it bad enough, you'll get wisdom because it's available for everyone who seeks it. See, it's like the starving person. If you're hungry enough, folks, you will eat a raw onion if you have to. You'll eat grub worms and drink filthy water if you get desperate enough. And if you get hungry enough for the things of God, if you get disgusted enough with things staying the way they are, you'll shut off the TV and go after God with all your heart and not even care about what the football scores are. And folks, part of that seeking process is taking advantage of God's tools for your spiritual growth. Let's talk about that for a minute. You see, not taking advantage of those tools on a regular basis is why there are people in the church today who can't distinguish the difference between good Bible doctrine and the doctrine of demons. They can't tell the difference between the truth of the Bible and counterfeit religious sects that will damn them to hell. So they end up putting a lot of spiritual poison into their mouths that isn't good for consumption, that is not safe for consumption. And as a result, they end up shipwrecking their faith in so many instances. They shipwreck their families oftentimes. 
They shipwreck their health and even their finances. Everything suffers as a result because how many of you know that God's word is there for you to be blessed in every area of your life? He wants to prevent you stepping on those landmines. That's why we have his word, folks. He doesn't want you to suffer. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And this is why I so harp on regular church attendance and stress-reducing distractions while we're here. Because you know what? Uh, when you just decide to sleep in one morning because you're too sleepy to make it to church. Okay, on that note, i got to tell you a story. <laughs> in a former church where Donna and I were the praise and worship ministers for many years, we had in a guest speaker one time. And he was a friend of the pastor and uh, we'd had this, this person in before, and he ministered in music and also in the Word. And he just didn't seem to be on his game that day. He was just like, wow, that was flat. Just, you know, we'd come to expect so much more of this guy. And the pastor pulled him aside later, and he said, man, is, is everything okay? I mean, you just didn't seem like you were yourself this morning. He said, yeah, you know, I got to watching TV last night in the hotel room, and there was boxing on, and I, I was up till 3 in the morning watching boxing. And the pastor went, Really? That's what you thought of your anointing? That's what you thought of what God had planned to do through you this morning with our congregation? So he, re pastor rebuked him, and he needed that. He, need he did not respect what God was about to do the following morning enough to get to sleep at a decent hour so he could get up the next morning refreshed, ready to operate in the anointing of God. And I think... That's the way so many Christians treat their church attendance, is that they're up till midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, playing video games or uh, watching TV or whatever else that they're doing, and they're, they're not refreshed and ready the next morning. And sometimes they're just like, oh, I'm so sleepy. I just, I just need to get a little extra rest. If you, would have gotten to, if you would have gotten to bed the night before and had a respect for what God was about to do, then it, see, there's no expectation so often. You're just like, your mentality is, well, I'm just punching a time card. Just, you know, I just go to church and punch my time card. If that's your mentality, there's no expectation for what God might want to do in your life the next day. If you're coming with such a low expectation, then sometimes God meets us right where we are. And if our expectation is so low, sometimes we don't even make it to church at all because our expectation is just so low. If we would raise our expectations, prepare ourselves the night before for what's getting ready to happen the next day and have a greater expectation for what God's about to do, you know what? You might actually get something more out of church than you've ever gotten before. If you would prepare yourself accordingly and raise your expectation, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to be in your presence. God, I want to be with other saints who are seeking you with all of their hearts. And when you have that passion and that attitude when you come to church, you might actually get something way more than you've ever gotten. When you make it a higher priority in your life, I tell you, the book of James says, when, when uh, we go after God, when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. He meets you where you are sometimes, folks. So go after him. He'll draw nearer to you if you draw nearer to him. Praise God. So when you just decide to sleep in one morning because you are too sleepy to make it to church, wow. 
you know, you just missed out on a tremendous opportunity to be trained in the word of righteousness, but you voluntarily missed it because you want to get a few extra minutes of sleep. While our brethren in other countries, like Pam was saying this morning, are hungering and thirsting to have what you have. Let it sink in. People in other countries don't even have Bibles to read. And if they, and their attitude is that if I only had a Bible. And I remember the picture that we were sent by a Kenyan church. They didn't have any Bibles. No Bible. No, no one except the pastor had a Bible in that church. And years ago, we gathered together some money. Thank you for, again for your generosity for that. And we bought up a bunch of Bibles and sent every person in that congregation a Bible. And they sent us a picture, them holding up their Bibles. And they were so happy. I have my own Bible. Finally, after 10 years, 15 years, 20 years going to church, there were some older people, elderly people in that congregation holding up a Bible. They've, they've never had one of their own before. And we sent them to them. And they were so thankful. And we so take these things for granted. And yet so often we voluntarily miss the opportunity to be trained in the word of righteousness because we're too sleepy. What a waste. So Ephesians 4 lists what those tools are that God has provided for our spiritual growth. So I'm just going to put this up on the screen for you and go through this. And in verse 11 it says, And it was he, meaning God, who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. That's the fivefold ministry right there. Okay? I just want to interject this thought right here. Most churches today do not operate in the fivefold ministry, they operate in teaching and preaching and maybe some degree of evangelism. But prophets and apostles are non existent in a lot of uh, denominations. And as a matter of fact, it's a little weak in. In our church, uh, we have an apostle who I submit to from Fort Worth, Texas. He's our apostle. Um, but the prophetic has been a little bit weak in uh, this congregation. And I'm praying that for full operation of the fivefold ministry. Full operation of the fivefold ministry. Because that's where God wants to bring us back to. I, I am reading from the Bible, after all, right? Yeah. Now, I know a lot of people think that the, that the prophetic, that passed away, no biblical evidence of that whatsoever. Whatsoever. You can't convince me of that. No evidence that that passed away. And as a matter of fact, I've, I've been in services before where a, a, a prophet of God, okay, let me, let me these stories keep coming to me. Um, so when I was very new in the faith, um, I had come out of a you know, very sordid lifestyle, and, and um, I was new in the faith. And I remember one Friday night, um, it was, had just been a few weeks since I made my commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And usually on Friday night, I was out getting crazy. And, and now I'd cut myself off from, from all the people that I used to do all those things with. And I was really, it was the first few months of that process were really lonely because I was, you know, didn't have anybody around me like I was used to. And so uh, one Friday night, when I would have normally been out doing other things, 
I had zero to do, nothing to do. And I was like, man, I'm, I, I've got to go find a service, a church service of some sort, a small group of some sort. So uh, the only thing I could find was a, a women's meeting. And I crashed it. I sat in the back. I was the only male in there. And there was this female prophetess of God. And, and she was really, man, God had gifted her in the prophetic. And she saw me in, in the back row. And she called me up front and began to minister to me. I didn't know this person from Adam, and she didn't know me. And she began to tell me things about myself that only she and God knew. I'm, I'm sorry, only I and God knew. She didn't know. She told me things about myself that only God and myself knew. And I'd never met this person. So don't tell me that the prophetic isn't in operation today. I know it is. I've experienced it. And, and he used that. See, that's called the seer anointing. When you can, you can see something in someone that, that you didn't know, and maybe nobody else knows, but God revealed that to you to give credibility to the prophetic that you're about to give them. You're about to give them something prophetic, something about what God's going to be doing with them in the future. But anybody can say anything about what God wants to do in the future. So he uses the seer anointing to give credibility to the prophetic. Does that make sense? Okay, I didn't intend to talk about all that. That's going to come later in this teaching. But anyway, that's the fivefold ministry right there. So God's tools for spiritual growth. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. There it is. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. See, he's wanting us to mature, right? Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching and by the clever cunning of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all we will in all things grow up into Christ himself, who is the head. Hallelujah. He wants us to grow, and he's given us tools by which to do it. Now, I want to talk about, just for a moment here, the, the benefits of spiritual maturity. In Hebrews 5.14, again, part of our master text, it says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. That's the Berean Study Bible version there. I want to read you what it says out of the New King James Version. It says, But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, um, who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So I want you to pay attention to how the New King James renders that and uses the word exercised, and the Berean Study Bible uses by constant use. All right. In both cases, those English renderings were taken from the Greek word gumnazo, gumnazo and it's where we get the word gymnasium. Okay? It refers to an athlete who strips for competition. This word describes an athlete who is totally, completely dedicated to his, the preparation, 
training and winning the ultimate prize during competition. So before he trains or competes, he strips off every possible hindrance or impediment for freedom of movement, much like Olympic athletes do today. You've seen how Olympic athletes dress in those little tight, skimpy outfits. And sometimes I want to say to the females, put some clothes on, girl. But that's why they do that, for freedom of movement, apparently. Well, Paul didn't use this imagery accidentally. They, you know, Olympic athletes, uh, athletes in competition, even in Paul's day, did the same thing for freedom of movement, to strip off everything that would impede their progress or their success. Again, Paul didn't use that imagery accidentally. It was very purposeful that he used that imagery because he was portraying the serious spiritual commitment required for our spiritual walk. Paul was saying that we need to be people who are so committed to the successful outcome of our spiritual races that we strip off every hindrance that would impede our progress and train ourselves to be godly in every respect. Nothing held back. You see... And this is in your notes as well. You can fill in this blank here as well. This is, in essence, what this is saying. When when the Word of God is working in your heart and mind, you are then exercised by it so you can come to a place spiritually where you're able to discern good and evil. But not just good and evil, but you're able to distinguish between good and excellent or good and best. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, in other words, folks, you'll have discernment. You'll have discernment. Uh, You'll have wisdom in all things. You won't have to ponder, hmm, I wonder what God's will is in this situation. Because in most cases, you'll already know. If you're trained, if you're exercised in the word of righteousness, I want to give you an example, and then we're going to close here in a minute. I've been tossing around an idea for a new book. And uh, this new book that I've been contemplating is is on health. And uh, I find that many people in the body of Christ today um, don't really understand how God wants us to take care of our temples. And so just, you know, because of what I do in the marketplace, um, God has allowed me to be exposed to a lot of great information and I've accumulated a lot of knowledge along those lines in the 28 years that I've been doing what I do. <clears throat> and so I just thought, you know, the, the body of Christ needs this. And so that's been my book idea. And I wanted to partner with one of the many doctor friends that God has enabled me and privileged me to be able to become friends with and are clients of mine. And, and I, I wanted to partner with a doctor because I thought having a doctor partner with me would give the book a little bit more credibility since I don't have letters behind my name. Uh, and so this one doctor that I was thinking of is in great shape. He really understands fitness and he really understands health and he's a master marketer. And so I thought this is the perfect guy to uh, partner with me in the writing of this book. And I started to get really excited about approaching him because of his marketing expertise. Started to get really excited about approaching him, but then I thought I stopped and I paused and I said, I better ask the Holy Spirit about that. And then I did. I said, Holy Spirit, what do you think about that? Should I approach that doctor to team up with me to 
maybe start this book. And it wasn't three seconds after I asked that question, the Holy Spirit dropped a scripture in my heart that I already knew it. I already memorized it, but I just wasn't thinking of it at that moment. But as soon as I asked that question, boom, he dropped it in my heart. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And this particular doctor is not a believer. So who knows what kind of terrible situation we could have gotten ourselves into in a partnership like that because it's oil and water. They don't mix. So you see, if you know the word of God, a lot of times these questions will already be available to you. See, I didn't have to pray about that for a week or a month. I knew. My spirit knew. Didn't have to pray about it. Okay? A lot of times people ask these questions, uh, well, God, what do you want me to do, do about this? And they pray about it for the next month. No, if you read your Bible, you, you, the answer is probably there. Not in every case, but it's probably there. And even in the, the cases where maybe the Bible doesn't address it specifically, I'll bet you'll have a principle from the Word of God that will guide you along those lines. Does, does all that make sense? All right. So here's my last thought. The endurance of a structure is determined by the quality of its foundation. The endurance of a structure is determined by the quality of its foundation. Like I told you when we started out this teaching today, when a building is built, now I've got pictured on the screen there those big skyscrapers. It's like, you know, if you think about the engineering and those things, it's like, how do those things stay up like that? 50, 60, 70 story buildings. How in the world do they even stay up a day, let alone for decades? Well, it's because they dig deep, 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 deep into the ground and build a really firm foundation so that those structures can stay up for the long haul. So the endurance of a structure is determined by the quality of its foundation and the endurance of your structure as a man or woman of God and as a household is determined by the quality of your foundation. It must be built upon the foundation of the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Now listen, we're a spirit-filled church. We, we, we love worship. We love you know, some of the, the seer anointing that I operated a little bit in this morning when I gave some words to people as I, as I was uh, praying this morning and I saw people's faces before me. That's, that's the seer anointing. Um, God used me a little bit in that way today. But I want to tell you something. Those things are the icing on the cake. They're not the main dish. What's the main dish? The Word of God. The Word of God. You, you might even say it this way. Um, man cannot live on dessert alone. He has to have the meat and potatoes of God's Word. And here's the meat and potatoes right here. There's too many Christians that I've met in the charismatic circles. And listen, I, listen, I was raised Pentecostal. So I've seen this. I've seen the imbalances in the Pentecostal church, just like there's imbalances in every denomination that I've ever seen. They're just different imbalances. And in the charismatic and Pentecostal circles, the imbalance so often is that we want to focus on the goosebump, on the butterfly, on the spiritual you know, experiences that we have, and have a secondary focus on the Word of God. That is totally and completely out of balance. Your foundation has to be the Word of God. And if the experiences come, if the goosebumps come, if the seer anointing is in operation, wonderful. That's phenomenal. But 
The Word of God must be the basis upon which we build the foundation of our lives. Okay? So in this series, what we're going to endeavor to do is go back to the basics and build a firm foundation. And in doing so, we'll do a deep dive into six doctrinal points that make up the master text that we just read in Hebrews that uh, the book of Hebrews says that we need to have a solid understanding on. And we'll begin that deep dive into those six doctrinal points next week as we talk about repentance from dead works and what that means. And I, I think a lot of people don't really even know the full measure of what that means. Repentance from dead works. We'll talk about that next week. All right. Praise God. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Stand and pray with me, please. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.